my name is Michael McMaster, and this is my podcast called An Open Mind. Yes, it's been a while. <laughs> I've had some interesting times in the um, last month. Um, so I walk a lot um, outside, and seems like I've taken to sleepwalking. I guess walking outside is not enough. I got to walk in my sleep. Well, so about a month ago, I think it's nearly a month ago or something, I guess I did that. And um, I have this stuff around me. I'm going to talk about three different things. This is one of them, but two other things today. One of them has to do with, well, I'm just going to say this first. So around me, I have my piano synthesizer and my guitar amp over here because I, you know, love music, play with music. So apparently I got up in the middle of the night, unknowing to me, to sleepwalk, and I hit the synthesizer, piano, knocked it over, and somehow or other I pulled this 100-pound amp over, and I knocked myself unconscious, apparently, um, when I was doing this because I never heard anything. And so I wake up, and I'm on the ground, on top of the synthesizer, and I'm sort of looking at it and going, hmm. I guess I got up and went back to bed. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I bruised all my ribs and my body, but I'd knocked myself unconscious. And so I had a concussion and um, what do they call that? Bruising on the brain, right? So for, oh, I don't know, two weeks, <coughs> excuse me, um, two and a half weeks, three weeks, I practically slept the whole time. I'd wake up and go back to sleep because my brain is trying to heal itself. My body's you know, pretty much healed now. And um, very weird experience because my people, you know, friends who live around me um, would say to me, uh, Michael, you're not the same. I'm going, oh, I'm not the same. Is that good or bad? And I actually haven't got an answer back yet. <laughs> so I don't know. But I can tell I'm not the same. And uh, it's really weird. Oh, my God. Life before crash, life after crash, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I could have died. I sort of realized that now. And I don't know how long I was unconscious for, lying on the floor. So it's very weird. It's only been in the last um, probably day, day and a half, I think, that I've sort of come around to what I think is somewhat normal, <laughs> whatever that is. But, you know, I'm not normal, so... 10% of not being normal extra doesn't bother me, you know, kind of thing, because I'm not normal anyway. So when my friends say to me, you're not quite the same, well, it doesn't matter because I'm not normal anyway. Okay, so don't worry about it. So yeah, so this is what sort of happened to me, but um, there is a message in it for me, for sure, which I'm sort of, um, I have to cough a lot today, so anyway, <coughs> so I'm sort of like figuring out, I cough because my ribs are hurt, but um Yes, so I walk during the day and I sleepwalk during the night. So I just have to be a little more careful. It, it's funny, like when I start to be be able to do things, you know, um, I kept I kept having this feeling I was going to fade into nothing. Like my thoughts weren't really strong, and so I I was the most what do they call it present moment awareness you could possibly have. Like if I take my one second off where I am and what I'm doing, I'm going to fade into nothing. It's uh, 
weirdest experience, but um, that seems to have gone away. And I couldn't balance myself right. Uh, that seems to have gone away, so I, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not expecting to be the same, and I don't want to be the same. So that's what happened there. Here's the other thing I want to talk about. Um, because, you know, I went to the hospital and they did brain scans, you know, this kind of stuff. And um, they wanted to give me something to sort of make me happy. <laughs> and I thought, no, I'm not taking it. And so it's weird how things come to me. Because I, um, uh, so I, st so I started to think about that. And somebody else said something to me. And then I started to talk about that, like um, medication and people who have attention deficit disorders and things like this, right? And I found I had people around me, quite a few actually, that had experiences with this. <coughs> so I have to keep going. So I started to research this and I already know a lot about it. And here's the interesting thing about this. People who suffer from depression and have attention deficit disorders or whatever they may be, take medication. Now, I happen to understand how brain chemistry works and the effect of um, chemicals on the brain and chemicals on the body. You know, what happens to you emotionally because basically all emotions that you have are chemically induced. I don't know if you know that or not, but that that's how the whole thing works right so in my own understanding and talking to some people because this caught my attention when more than two or three people start to talk about it with me that this is what's true if you have somebody in your life that has these kind of problems attention deficit disorder whatever else it may be and or depression depending on a degree, but even if the degree is not that great, right? you're having a relationship with a certain percentage of the person that could be somewhat normal. And, okay, what could that be? It could be the passionate side of the person. You know, that emotional, passionate side. Let's say you're in a relationship or marriage or something, you know, something like this, right? Male or female, it doesn't matter. And so... A certain percentage of you, a certain percentage is having a relationship with a certain percentage of that part of the person, you know, which could be, you know, like I said, the emotional side there that's passionate and everything like that. Okay, what you don't understand is that these drugs that they give people that make them focus more or make them um, more euphoric, euphoric or a lot happier, that's not the person. You're actually having a relationship with the drug, what the drug is producing. So you're having a certain relationship with the person that might be the passionate person, everything, that side of it, right? Then the rest of your relationship is with something that a drug is inducing into the person, not the person at all. Do you see? So what happens is that if you take the drug away, you have to deal with the real person. And I guarantee you that's not a pleasant thing. I've had a couple of clients who are like that. 
they have these attention deficit disorders and other things, but their problem is is that they have addictive personalities where they can't even drink, can't take anything. And so they are extremely difficult to deal with. Extremely. But I have patience. Right. So a certain percentage of you is having, or you are having a relationship with a certain percentage of the person, passionate side, and the rest of it you're having a relationship with a drug. Here's the problem with this, all this stuff. Drugs change brain chemistry. Simple. Now, these people are like addicts. It's like somebody who drinks and is happy all the time. Who are you having the relationship with? You're having the relationship with the alcohol in the person that creates a particular mood. You see? So these people that take these kind of drugs, they're really addicts because it gives them a certain euphoric feeling and it makes them happy, makes them very sociable or like this because they feel great. But it's not them. It's the drug. So if you, I don't know, I mean, all these people are on drugs that, you know, they get renewals in their prescription and they're all very nervous about that because they're addicted to the drug. You see, so they need the drug to feel good, to make them larger than life or whatever, whatever it might be, or to help them focus more or like this. So, you know, they're always wanting to make sure they get their refills. But if, if that person didn't have that drug or was, wasn't taking that drug for a period of time, you'd have a completely different person. You'd wake up and go, who in the hell is this? You see? So I'm going to say this. Because there are a lot of people out there looking for people to date, to marry, to whatever. This is something you should do. You need to find out what medications they're on. Who are you having the relationship with? This is important because there are so many people out there that are all drugged up on pharmaceutical drugs. But with these kind of drugs, there's always a crash. And the real person seeps through, you know. And they'll say to you, oh, no, it's nothing, you know. No, it is something. Because that's your real personality. The drug is creating a different personality. Do you see? If you're with somebody or starting to date somebody or whatever, find out what medications are on. And then you're going to know who the person is. You know, high pressure medications, well, like that, that doesn't matter. But these drugs do. And more and more adults are going on them to feel better. Because a lot of these drugs create this euphoric feeling. It makes you happy. It makes you very sociable. It makes you a nice person. But you're not really because the drug is producing that. So I said, like I just said, find out what drugs the person's doing. And the same with people. It's honesty, right? And the same if you're on these drugs. Disclose it. Be fair to the other person. And say, this is what I'm doing, but maybe I have it under control, maybe I don't. Rather than dragging somebody into a relationship, and for two years, three years, it takes them to figure it out, and you've just wasted and being completely dishonest, by the way, to this person. I am very much, very much 
in total disclosure in relationships. Because I see so much deception out there, so much lying, just for people to get what they want. So I am totally into total open honesty in relationships. You cannot build something on a lie because it'll collapse. That's the way it works. So you build it on honesty. That way, people come together based on honesty and they build relationships that way that last a long time. All right, that's all I want to say about that. Infuriates me. You have no idea. Okay, I want to talk about something else now. So, I live in this tiny space and I love it. All right. Even though other people don't like it, I don't care. This is my sacred space. I have in here everything that I need to create. Whether it be music, the podcast, writing, um, talking to people. So it's a sacred space because I put wonderful energy in here. So I have a little border over here. You know, I have a salt lamp and I have my candles and whatever. So I create this wonderful feeling within here. And it's magical. It is absolutely magical. I don't let anybody in here per se. Um, I might let my friend come over. <coughs> and But he feels it. He goes, this, this is just wonderful. And it is. I fill the space with harmony and love. And I make it sacred that way. Because what happens is that when I'm working here, like this podcast, right? Create this podcast or create some music or writing. It raises my vibration. It raises the vibration of the whole place. So you create things at a higher level. And it's more likely that you're going to have higher um, intuitive thoughts to be able to solve problems. So this is my space to do that. And it works. You can create something like this wherever you are. Like in your house. Like I meditate in here three to four hours a day. You can create a place in your house that's sacred to you. And if you're stressed or you need answers to something, you can go and sit in that space, whatever it may be, and just focus on what you need and it'll come to you. This is what I do. Nobody understands it. Like, Michael, you should be living in a $2 million house over there. No. I've created this space for now. And it's what I need because it works. In here, let me say something more about that. You can do it in your car. Like, I drive to visit somebody, I drive two hours. And I create that as like a sacred space as well in my car to drive, to relax, to think, and have answers come to me that I need. You can do the same thing. You can be in your car going to work or going anywhere. And you, you just say, this is my sacred space for me to receive inspiration from the universe or whatever, for whatever I need. You make that proclamation and it will start to happen. I understand this because I do it every day. Right? So create some place like that physically in your house, 
You could have it if you work in an office at your desk. You can almost put a dome over it and say, this is my sacred space that heals me. Hear that? Because I spent nearly three weeks in here healing me with the energy that's in here. So if you have physical problems, create some space in your house, like sacred space. You say, this is the place that heals me, heals me emotionally, heals me physically. It can be just a chair. It doesn't have to be what I have here, right? It's a special, believe me. So it can be just a chair or whatever. You can do this. You see, now I want to say something else. And listen to this. I create that space also within me. I have this place, my heart, that I call my sacred place. It's my heart. And I connect that place, that heart, that energy to the universe, to God. So my heart and my body is also my sacred place. I connect it to God. And when I need inspiration, from that place, from that heart, I say to the universe, I need an answer for the situation that I have. So I create myself as a sacred place or space for the universe to give me answers. I have something written down here. Most of us struggle through life. The problem is, is that we're lost in the dream of being human. I'll say that again. We are lost in the dream of being human. And we do things in a human way. We're spiritual beings. We have forgotten the way to spiritually do things. And that's where the true power lies. True power doesn't lie in trying to force everything in your life into happening or being. True power lies in effortlessness, in what they call in the Tao Te Ching, non-doing. What I'm going to say to you now is important. There are two ways to live, through force or through spiritual power. The majority of us live through force. I, most of the time, not all the time, live through spiritual power. So you say, what is that? I've said it before in different ways. If I sit in my sacred place, this room, the same as you can create a sacred place, and I feel myself as a sacred being, which is a sacred place as well, and I feel myself connected to the universe, and I put an intention to the universe, whatever it may be, to have more peace in my life, to have more love in my life, I don't know, more financial abundance, whatever, and I connect to the universe that way in the sacred space, the universe answers. 
it brings it to you without effort, non-doing. In ancient philosophical texts of spirituality that date back thousands of years, they understood this. Non-doing, that's what it means. You put yourself in this spiritual place. You know that you are a spiritual being and you use that power to connect to God or the universe and create an intention to God or the universe through non-doing on your part, the universe manifests it for you. This is the way it's supposed to work. But like I've said, we've been got lost in the dream of being human. So we think we have to force everything to happen to get what we want, whether it's love, anything. You're going against the very nature of your own being. I'll say that again. You're going against the nature of your own being. You're creating your own problem. So you're creating a problem that you're trying to solve that you probably won't solve. So I'm going to say this again. Create a spiritual place for yourself. Sacred space. See yourself as a sacred space. Connect to the universe through that and have intentions and they will manifest for you. Right. Wake up. Get out of the dream of being human and go back to the place of the spiritual being who has the power to create anything in your life. Go back to that place. Thank you.